So we're continuing in 1 Corinthians this morning. And here's the, the big idea, which would be, it's our call to unity. Our call to unity. The, call, the great call of God that the church would live in unity. Are you with me in this? I mean, uh, Jesus prayed that we'd all be one as him and the Father are one, and it's one of the ways the world knows that we're born-again believers, right? Now, this call to unity is a difficult call, and, and the battle really, is, as I laid out in your bulletin, is this issue of, here it is, it's the battle of worldly wisdom versus godly wisdom. Are you with me on this? That, that is the constant battle that we are all in at all times is this issue of conforming to the world or being transformed by the renewing of our mind. So here, here's the truth we got to come to grips with. Every one of us in this room right now, every born-again believer for that matter, has some of their life dominated by worldly wisdom and some of their life dominated by godly wisdom. So that's the battle we're going to be talking about today. That's really the battle that, that Paul has been fighting with the Corinthians about for, for weeks now, is the issue that the Corinthians were raised up in worldly wisdom. They honored philosophers. They followed a philosopher. They followed worldly wisdom. And Paul was saying, enough of that. You have to break away from worldly wisdom and embrace godly wisdom to, to live the life that God wants you to live. So, Let's define a few terms here. I want to define what unity is. And to give you a little definition here, I'm quoting from the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary. Why in the world would I be using the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary? Why don't I use the current Webster Dictionary? It changed. Worldly. Thank you, my brothers here. Because here's the sad thing, is not only is the world conforming to, to, the, to the lies of the evil one, the dictionary, the language itself is being conformed to the world. Here's, the, here's your test. If you don't believe me, look up different words under the 1828 Noah Webster Dictionary and look them up under the current Webster Dictionary and you'll see the definitions have changed. So here's what the 1828 Webster Dictionary says about unity. And I love this. It says, unity is a thing undivided in itself. You got that? Unity is something that is undivided in itself, but separate from every other thing. Do you get that? So unity, the unity of the church is something that's supposed to be united, completely united in everything in itself. In this body of believers, we are supposed to be completely united. That's what Jesus prayed. They'd be completely united as one, as a father and I are one. But we're called to be completely separate from everything else. That's the world. The ways of the world, the thoughts of the world, the desires of the world, the sins of the world. We're supposed to be completely separated from that. That's the church. And, and God says that if we, if we live in this unity that he's empowered us to do, that we'll look at today, then we will be a bright light to the dark world. That is one of the ways we witness to the world that we're born again believers, is through our unity with one another. Now, let's talk about conforming a little bit, because see, with, by the way, how, how do we live in unity? We'll talk about this in more detail. There's only, there's only a few ways we can be united in everything as a body of believers. 
I'm just going to get right to the bottom line here. That is through the Word of God. It is through us dedicating ourselves to the Word of God is the only way we can be truly united as a body of believers. You know, I was at churches that thought to build unity, you had barbecues and bowling leagues and softball teams. Does that create unity? No, it, it sets the context for conformity, then not unity. There's only one way we can be united as a body of believers is if we're all committed to the Word of God. That's what we're going to talk about today. So, again, in the 1828 Webster Dictionary, unity of faith, it says. If you want to be united in everything, you have to unity in faith, which is a body of believers submitted to the Word of God. Second thing, it's united in spirit. We have, if you're truly a born-again believer, you have the very Spirit of God living within you, and that Spirit of God wants to help us be united as a body. So, so that, that's, the, that's what we're going to be talking about. I'm just kind of setting the stage with you. Now let's talk about the counterfeit of Satan, which is con- conforming. See, with everything in this world, I'm sure you've noticed that Satan comes up with a counterfeit because he knows how God has designed us. We are designed to live in unity. So he has to come up with a counterfeit, which is conformity, where you get the word uniform, Right? We all, and the, the idea of conformity is everybody looks the same on the outside. It's external likeness is the way, that, again, the 1828 Webster Dictionary defines it. It's an external likeness. We all look alike like people wearing uniforms. And so Satan says, here, here is something that you think that you'll be deceived into believing. It's going to meet this need that God's given you to live in unity. It's going to be conformity that we all kind of embrace the ways of the world, the, the loves of the world, the desires of the world, the language of the world. We, we just all kind of go along and try to fit in externally, fitting in within the world's definition of conformity. So that, that's kind of the battlefront that we're talking about. It's really what Paul's addressing in these teachings is to uh, not give in to the... Well, Romans 12, 2 says, Do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Amen. So that's the battlefield for today we're going to talk about in detail. And with that, if you'd open your Bibles to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 6 through 16 is what we're going to look at today. And uh, our brother Charles is back and going to read the word for us and that amazing accent that God's given him. He thinks we all have an accent, but we know it's him. So if you could please stand for the reading of God's Word. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows the person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit is from God, 
that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, mm. interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Mm-hmm. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are faulty to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Mm-hmm. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Hmm. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Charles. Let's pray, brothers and sisters. Father in heaven, we, we thank you for this time together as we all come under your word. I pray, dear Father, that you would work in me and through me for your glory, that it would be not my thoughts and not my words, but yours. And Father, we do cry out for all those that are here today, those that are saved, that they would be sanctified, and those that are not saved, that they might be saved. Father, help this not just to be a a waste of time, but a time that brings you great glory and honor, and that we would be edified as we sit under your word. We also cry out for all those that are here today that have trials and tribulations and suffering. We pray that you would minister to them through your living word by your spirit. Pray this all in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let's work our way. There's a lot in here. Just to give you another picture of what's going on here, Paul is dealing with all these philosophers of Corinth and the, and the teaching. So he gives this great debate, this great uh, defense of what it is to be a Christian to help encourage these uh, Corinthian believers. So it says, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Do you see that? Now, this word mature means perfect or complete or one who belongs. And so you, you could say, well, who is perfect? Who is complete? In other words, is, is Paul just speaking to those that are mature believers, that are, that are grown up in Christ? They're the only ones that can understand the wisdom of God. Is that what he's saying? No, he's not. He's not saying that. He, he, it really, can we go back to, to Pastor Tyler's sermon? What he's saying is that those that are mature are the ones that realize they're foolish. That they're poor in spirit. Let's use the Beatitudes here to kind of explain the position here. It's those who have seen the, the righteousness and glory of God, and, and they see their position before a holy God, and they're poor in spirit. They're, they're, they realize they're foolish before an almighty God. Are you with me? It's, it's those who are blessed are those who mourn. It's they've seen their sinfulness, and they know they need a Savior. Are you with me on that? They, they've seen that. They're, so they're, they're mourning over their sinfulness. That is someone that is mature in the faith. And also that blessed are the meek. They, they've realized it isn't in their strength that they're going to accomplish anything. It's they're submitting their entire lives to the power and authority of God and his word by his spirit. And lastly, the mature are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, so that's what he's talking about. So if someone got saved today in this church, they would be mature because they'd be filled with the Spirit of God. They've already realized that they're poor in spirit. They've already realized they need to mourn over their sinfulness. They've already realized they need to be meek and submitted their life to God, and they're hungering and thirsting for righteousness. So he's speaking to every born-again believer, and he's saying that the wisdom of God is for you. It is for you that God wants to give you his wisdom. And that's what he's saying there. 
So here's a little picture of that, just another verse, Ephesians 1, 7 through 9. It says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he's lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ. I pray that describes every one of us, that we've been, we've been redeemed through the blood of Jesus, that we've, been, we've confessed and repented of our sins and been forgiven by the blood of Jesus, and now God desires to pour out his wisdom and understanding on all of us who believe. Okay, back to the text, gentlemen. So he continues. So yet among the mature, we do not we do impart wisdom. So now we know what he's saying. To all those born-again believers, God desires to pour his wisdom out. But he said, although it is not a wisdom of this age. Do you see that? Or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. He's saying the wisdom that God has for you is not the wisdom of the world. It's, it does not line up with the wisdom of the world. Do not be deceived. It's, it's not the wisdom that you hear and see in this fallen world. It's a whole different wisdom than, than what the world pr- projects to us. And he says, of, and of the rulers of this age, the leaders of the, 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 leaders of the world at the time, the leaders of, of different areas. And, I mean, just think about who are some of the smartest people you know during our age. Great thinkers great scientists, great business leaders, great whatever, and they have these great minds, but they're not saved. He said, that's not the wisdom you're looking for. You don't want to listen to those people. Their wisdom does not line up with God's wisdom, is what he's saying. It's a whole different wisdom than what the world projects. And it says here they're they're doomed to pass away. These great thinkers of Paul's age And every age since then, these people that project worldly wisdom and how to live our lives according to the world, they eventually pass away. And by the way, that is the first time they really realize that their wisdom was foolish as they come before the judgment seat of God. And then he continues, but we impart, so he goes, our wisdom, the wisdom of God is very different than the wisdom of the world. He says, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God. Some of your translations say a mystery which God decreed before the angels for our glory. A secret and hidden wisdom of God. It, by the way, this is not some unsolved mystery. This is when God chose to open up the world to the gospel through Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians is talking about. It's, it's, the, it's the word of God that's being revealed to mankind by the Spirit of God. And so he's saying the secret hidden wisdom is now being revealed to those who are born again, those who believe. So I pray as you sit here today, you know this, right? You know this because I pray there was a point in each of your lives where God got a hold of you. And for reasons you can't quite explain, you saw your own depravity, you saw his holiness, and you surrendered your life to Jesus and you were born again. That's... That's the beginning of God revealing the secret hidden wisdom of God to you. And you can't explain it because you weren't looking for God. You weren't trying to figure out God. God just supernaturally called you out of the darkness and into the light. Amen? So so he revealed the secret, the hidden secret of the gospel to you, of how one is saved. Now, the, the, the prayer is that as we continue in our life with Christ... 
every day we should be learning more of God's secrets in the Word of God, right? As we come to the Word of God, He reveals more and more truths to us, and we, we choose to believe and obey them, and we see the blessings in living an obedient life, and, and He's continuing to reveal His secrets to us even after we're saved. And do we understand everything about God? No, we don't. We, we don't even really understand salvation, sanctification, and glorification, let alone the Trinity and eschatology and all the rest of the things we don't understand. We just don't understand all that stuff. But we're hopefully all growing in our understanding. That's God's intention of believers is we're supposed to be growing in our understanding of the Word of God. And by the way, that is how we live in unity. Sanctification is nothing more than us all committing our lives to be students of the Bible, to be, to be disciplined in prayer, and to be determined to take in as many of the secrets of God as we can. And then when we get together, we have the mind of Christ. And then, then, then we have unity because we all think biblically. We all think like Christ thinks. And by the way, we'll see we also have the love of God as we continue to be dedicated to the word of God and to prayer. And then we really, truly live in unity. There's a oneness that is undescribable within the world system. And I pray you see a bit of that in this body of believers. So that's what he's talking about here, this hidden, uh, the secrets of God being revealed to, to those who he chooses. And sadly, we know that most people are blind to that truth. Okay, let's go on to the next part here. It says, he just, he just proves his point again. He's, he's proving to the, these people that are so used to debating through philosophy why what he says is true. He said, none of the rulers of this age understood this. None of the rulers of the age understood the secrets of God. They never understood the wisdom of God, right? He said, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So, the Jewish rulers of the time, the religious leaders, uh, they, they knew the word better than anyone else. They had studied the Bible. They were waiting for the Messiah. Did they understand the mysteries of God's wisdom? No, they crucified Jesus. The Roman leaders of the time, they had certainly heard about the miracles and seen all the signs, and, and they, you know, Pilate talked to Jesus, didn't want to crucify him, but undeniable proof that they did not believe either or understand the mystery because they crucified him. What about, the, what about the rulers of our age? Do they understand the mystery? Come on, brothers and sisters. The leaders of our age have kicked the Bible out of schools. The leaders of our nation have kicked prayer out of the schools. These are leaders of our, the rulers of our day. They've taken the Ten Commandments of all, off of all the courthouses. They, too, do not understand the wisdom of God. They're blind to it. And not only that, our, our, the rulers of our day are, are legalizing sexual immorality. Does that, does that reveal they understand the wisdom of God by legalizing sexual immorality? And also supporting the worship of Baal by killing babies and actually sponsoring it and financing it. Do they understand the wisdom of God? No, they don't. So even in Paul's day and all ages since then, there's been these people that think they're very wise and in control when they're really just fools. No reverent fear of God whatsoever. And then he goes on and he quotes Isaiah 64 and 65 here. He says, 
what, what, but it, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagine, what God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't that awesome? So here, here's what I want you to see what he's saying here. Some people use this quote talking about the wonders of heaven, but Paul's using it specifically for godly wisdom. And by the way, the wisdom of God would include wonders of the gospel, wonders of his word, wonders of heaven, it would include all those things, amen? So what he's saying here is, is, here's two ways we're made in the image of God. Are you still with me, everybody? Okay. So two ways we're made in the image of God. One is he's given us the gift of observation, ears, eyes and ears to hear. Do you see that? We're made in the image of God that way. We, we can look and listen and, and discover things of this world that God has created in ways that no other creature can. Squirrels don't really sit around looking and say, which birds migrate and which ones don't? They're not into that. It's where am I going to get my nuts for the winter? So they, they live on instinct. But us as creatures of God, we're, we're made with this unique ability that we have ears to hear and eyes to see, and we have this ability to figure things out and study things and learn things. The second gift he's talking about is the mind. The heart here is really the mind. We have the unique way we're made by God. We have the ability to reason. No other creature reasons to think deeply about things, right? But what he's saying here is that as the, the wisest people in the world, they've been given eyes to see and ears to hear, and they've given this ability to reason. Every, everyone's made in the image of God, and as hard as they try to figure out God, they're never going to figure him out. I mean, let me tell you this. They can read the Bible. They can study the Bible. They can learn the original languages. They can go to seminary. They can, they can study the Bible their whole life. They can memorize big chunks of the Bible. But apart from the supernatural work of God, they're never going to understand the wisdom of God. And that's what he's saying to them, to the, to the great philosophers of, of Greece. It's never going to happen. Let me give you an example here. This is just a good one that I thought was a good illustration. You won't be able to read this. It's too small. But this is, this is you know the story anyway. This is where Jesus meets Nicodemus. Do you remember that? This is a good example of how man cannot come to understand the wisdom of God apart from supernatural work of God. Now, there was a Pharisee, a, na- a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. So, Jewish ruling council, a leader of Israel, and by the way, a man who had studied the Bible most of his life. So ruling council, he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. The gift of observation the gift of reasoning. We've seen the miracles. We've heard your preaching. You must be of God, is what he's saying. And Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How does Nicodemus respond? How can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Foolishness. He didn't understand the wisdom of God. Born again meant climbing back into his mom's womb and be born again. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. 
You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases, but hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said, and do not understand these things. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, just as Moses lifted up on the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, who here is not, when you're, maybe when you were first saved, you went around telling people that you were born again? And I think, I don't know about you, but I got the same kind of response to a lot of people in my life. What do you mean, born again? They didn't say go back into my mommy's womb, but what is that, some spiritual experience you had? Or They don't understand it. It's foolishness. Only to those that God opens their eyes does the wisdom of God make sense. So let's stay with me now. We're going to look at how this happens. How, how did God do this in this fallen world? How did he reveal his wisdom to those who believe? You good with that? Do you need to stand up and walk around a little bit? Or? All right, good. All right, so let's look at this. First truth is revelation. The revelation of God's word. It says these things God has revealed, revelation, to us through what? The Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. And continues, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person who is in him? He gives him this great logical illustration. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So let's start off with the illustration. Who knows you best? Who knows you best as far as people? Who? Yeah, we do. Amen. No one knows you as well as you know yourself. No one knows your histories, your, your secrets, your desires. How about this? Your motivations of the things you do. No one knows you as well as you know yourself. In fact, you know, I've been married to my wonderful bride for over 30 years. I think I know her pretty well. But this Christmas and many Christmas, she tells a story I've never heard before. I said, I didn't know that. Why don't you tell me? You know, why don't you tell me in the last 30 years? That was a story I'd never heard. So as well as we even know those we love dearly, we spend a lot of time with, we never know them as well as they know themselves. And that's what, what Paul is saying here in the Word of God is that no one knows God as well as God knows himself. The Holy Spirit is part of the Holy Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And he's saying this truth came through the Spirit, and no one knows God as well as God knows himself. So this comes directly to us through God. Amen. And so this was the revelation of God. This was that God chose, stay with me here, through Jesus Christ, God chose through a point in time to reveal the hidden secrets to the fallen and dark world. Now what he did is he chose to reveal that through the apostles and the other men that wrote the Bible. Okay, this is the revelation. Now look at the next part. This is called the second truth. If you want to know some biblical, we got revelation. The next one is inspiration. There was divine inspiration. Let me read it to you, then I'll explain it. But he says, now we have received not the spirit of the world. Again, this is not about worldly wisdom. 
but the Spirit is who from God. This is the very Spirit of God who came and gave us this message, that we might understand things freely given to us by God. This is all God-ordained. And we impart this in words, not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truth to those who are spiritual. So this is the inspiration of God. This is an amazing reality. This is how God brought his secrets to the fallen world. He had the selection of apostles and other men of God, and he came and he, he by the Spirit of God, came to live within him. And then the Spirit of God reveals the words of God, the very words of God to these men, and they write them down. Is that good? This is awesome. So, in fact, what does uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 say? All Scripture is God-breathed, right? So he's saying that all this, this was the revelation of God's Word, and it was recorded by men that he specifically inspired to write it so that we would have the living Word of God. Okay. Okay, put this book on the shelf with the rest of the books. This is the very Word of God. And what what else is so amazing to me, miraculous to me, is God didn't take away their personalities. When you read the Bible, you get to know, I mean, think who he wrote it through. Matthew, the tax collector, the traitor of Israel. Fishermen, normal fishermen, uneducated fishermen wrote a lot of the Bible. Of course, they have Paul, the great Pharisee of Pharisees, this well-educated man of God. And James, his half-brother who had rejected him until after the resurrection, right? And he takes all these different personalities and people with different backgrounds, and through them, the Holy Spirit comes into their life and says, get your pen out, I'm going to give you the word of God, and you're going to write them down. And so what I love is when we come to the word of God, I mean, we get to learn who Matthew was like as we read his gospel, the gospel of John, the apostle who he loved. You, you come to the word, it's exciting, it's, it's fascinating as you get to read all these different authors as the word of God is revealed to us, the very word of God through these different people and personalities. Still not fired up? So that's called inspiration. Now let me just tell you this. I hope you know this already. There is no new revelation. There is no more inspiration. You good with that? Okay. It ended with the authors of the Bible. The Bible is finished. This is it. We're not waiting for some more apostles to write another book. The good thing is this is the same book we get to have in heaven. This is the same word of God we'll have in heaven for eternity. So get busy, because there's a final... No, there's not. But, but this is what we'll have with us for eternity in heaven, is this book. So what about us? There's the third part, which is called illumination. And that happens now. This is what Paul's explaining to these people. He said, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. And that's why I said a person can study the Bible, read the Bible, go to seminary, everything else. They can't figure it out because it's spiritually discerned. There's only one way you can figure out the Word of God, is you have to have the translator living within you. The translator has to live within you. You know, I love war movies and war history. And you know, if you look at any of the world wars, one of the key strategies was you had people that were assigned to create a secret code. Are you with me on this? And there was also a team of deciphering the enemy's codes. And they had these secret codes. So even in the early wars, 
the, the soldiers in the field could send messengers back to their commanders and say what's going on. The commanders could send messages back to their troops to tell them what's going on. And if they were ever intercepted, they would get this message and they couldn't determine what it was said, right? In fact, Midway, the Battle of Midway. Does anybody know that one? If you don't know it, there's a movie you could watch if you don't want to read about it. But it's, it's about how the Great Battle of Midway was a turning point of World War II, and the reason it was, it was a turning point is because we, um, the United States, was able to decipher the secret code of the Japanese. And that was the turning point. For, but So that's his code. But here's the deal with God. He has a secret code. But no one can break the code. No one can decipher the code because you need the translator to live within you to determine his code. Isn't that awesome? So he says, I will give you the, the, the author, the same one that inspired the word and revealed the word, is the one that has to live within us to translate the word. And that's what he's saying here to these people. It has to be spiritually discerned. So here's the... Let me just go through a few things. I'll come back to that. So here's, here's the same thing here, just to confirm this to you. First John 2. You all doing all right? We've got a few more minutes. Stay with me. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it taught, has taught you, remain in him. What's he saying? Is that the very Spirit of God has been given to all those who are born again that lives within you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. In fact, I believe he's going to be the one that escorts us to heaven. But he's the one that's in you, and he desires to open the word of God to you. He desires to reveal the truth, to illuminate the word to you, to transform you more into the image of Jesus. That's his purpose that living within us is. It's amazing. Let's go back to unity for a minute close with this. Let me just go through a few verses here. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer. High priestly prayer. Significant piece of scripture. It says, I in them and you in me that they may be brought to complete what? Complete unity. What happens if that happens? Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. Do you see what happens if we live in unity? The world knows that, Jesus, that God the Father sent his only begotten Son and that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son. How about the next verse? Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. What was that? Satan's not. What's that? The spirit. Yeah, yeah. But here, here's the, here's the point of this: is we need to make every effort. Are you making every effort to live in unity, complete unity, as God wants? How do we live in complete unity as a body of believers? The Word of God. It's not barbecues. It's not bowling teams. Our jobs is that throughout the week. Here's your New Year's challenge. Cut something out of the world. Cut an hour of TV out. Cut, cut something out and replace it with an hour of Bible and prayer. And what will happen if we all do that, if we all do that, we'll grow into this unbelievable unity in the body of Christ. 
and the mind of Christ, as Ralph just said. But here's what happens is all of a sudden you're in a church and saying, you know what, I don't, I don't like this church anymore. I don't, I don't like what they're preaching. I don't like what they're saying. You know what the problem is? In most cases, if it's a good Bible teaching church, the problem is you. The problem is you is that you're conforming to the world, and as we conform to the world, we don't like church anymore. It's too convicting. You know, whenever I start losing my attitude of gratitude within the body of Christ, I know it's because I'm not doing my part to be unified with all of you. You know, that's funny, but we have people visit the church sometimes, and they'll say, what do you believe about this, and what do you believe about that? I said, it doesn't matter what I believe. It only matters what the Word of God says. We believe what the Word says. And that's where we get the unity. See, the mind of, Ralph said, the mind of Christ, as the Scripture says, mind of Christ is that we get unified through the, through the same biblical worldview through the Scripture. And that's what Paul is dealing with, and that's what we're dealing with in the church today. There's one more here. It says, uh, There is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you all are one in Christ Jesus. This is a picture of unity. He's trying to straighten the the Galatian church out because they were having cliques. We know in this church, two types of people, lost and saved. That's what he's saying here. Live in unity. Different educations, different sin backgrounds, different vocations, different all kinds of differences in the church. doesn't matter. We can be unified under the word of God by the Spirit of God. So here's the challenge. As you, as you come to the Word of God, don't come yawning. Come excited. Come excited to the Word of God. Pray that the translator that lives within you will reveal the secret code to you and change your life. Don't be coming to the Bible so you got a good verse to, to quote someone when you run into another Christian on the street or to bring to Bible study or text to the group or whatever. You come to the Word of God to be changed. If, you're not, if you don't leave changed, you did not worship God. You just, you're like the rulers of the ages. You just came for information. You'll never be in unity if that's what you're doing. It's a serious work. The translator wants to translate. You've got to come ready to meet the God of the universe and be ready to be changed. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for your secret, hidden message that's been revealed to all who believe. We thank you, Father, that you want to pour out your wisdom upon every born-again believer. You want us to, to grow up in Christ. Father, I cry out to all for all these that are here and all those that aren't here of the Oasis that we would be serious about this call in our life, that we come to the word with great expectation crying out to the translator to illuminate your word so that we would be transformed and changed. Please, Father, and may the world see the Oasis as a church that is unified, and in that, not for our glory, but for your glory, that they would know how much God loves them and desires them to be saved as well. We love you, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.